Welcome to the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations Podcast. Today we are in conversation with the experimental film and media art class at the University of Arts in Berlin. We are focusing on new forms of research in the field, art in the age of climate change. Our speaker today is Eiko Soga, who is currently doing her PhD at the Ruskin School of Art in Oxford. In part two of this series, the felt knowledge of a more than human world. I have uh, experience with a uh... In, in, in Colombia with a wild bear and that was like incredible <laughs> to me. So this video you know, like, like touched me really inside. It's interesting for me to the relation between images and text. And uh, I have the impression that maybe in this video uh, we can see like the same level. And maybe you can speak about that because it's, that is really interesting for me. Yes, thank you very much for your question. So in this work, I was focusing a lot on the ecology of conversation and words. And I wanted to show how Monchan's words and feelings became part of myself as I spent a lot of time with him. And I took those words back into my life in a city. And uh, so for me, with this work, his voice was the most important thing. So I didn't want to make conventional subtitle, you know, little text on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, I somehow wanted to visually bring attention to his words. And uh, so that's why I put the text in the middle. And also when I'm in Hokkaido, I feel like, you know, there are lots of people and feelings in this wild nature. I feel like the voices are kind of echoing in the space which is part of the landscape. So somehow I want this to create that feeling I get. Yeah, I didn't mention this earlier, but you know, when I interviewed Monchan, I also interviewed about 20 other people. And I still don't know how to use the material because some of them, they're crying, I'm crying and laughing and <laughs> hysterical moments. And it's so personal and it's so precious. And I'm still very emotionally involved. So I don't know if I want to be objective about it or make it an art. I kind of use creative writing as a method to capture something emotional. And yeah, I can only be responsible of my own action. <laughs> and I don't want to turn other people's feeling into wrong places. So I kind of look at how I felt through this experience with the other people. And so that's how I approach. But it's very difficult. Um, I think it's also interesting because in that moment when you're not using the actual voices and but you're turning it into creative writing, it will be also more uh, your narration, right? And you're also in the image, so it will change a little bit uh, also the focus. For me, it was also interesting to hear when you said you, you have still all these interviews and there's so many so much emotion and you're not really sure what to do it, about it and you're turning it into 
creative writing because um, maybe I told you that uh, we have been in uh, Japan 2011-2012 after the disaster in uh, Fukushima and the earthquake and we interviewed many people that uh, were like refugees. They, they left the Fukushima area to live in Kyoto or more south and we also um, did many interviews also to find some people to participate in a workshop and many of these interviews, we, they were not in the movie, of course, and we didn't use them. And I was thinking of maybe making a book, um, maybe asking the people again if um, they would agree. And now it's almost 10 years ago. And I would uh, try to publish a book next year uh, also to uh, that these interviews are not forgotten because it was a part of the research. But at the same time, I think they're also like a time document and would be a pity if they would just last yeah, on my desk. And um, yeah, maybe this is also an interesting uh, aspect to talk about, um, time document in a way. In the last years, I also had the feeling that it's really appreciated to show the process so that people are much more interested in the process of how we research or what we're interested in than um, just of the result of the work, which I really like because sometimes I think it's the way to... Uh, to get to the final artwork, it's maybe sometimes much more interesting or similarly interesting, the final work. Yeah. When we want to come back a little bit to Ainu culture or also relationship with uh, film and camera and, uh, and nature, I would like to um, ask Lisa, because Lisa, you have this project you told us about with the sounds of the mountains. And I thought this would be interesting also to echo a little bit about it for this discussion and artistic work and research. Uh. Yes, we actually had a quick talk about it before the conference started today. And I was talking about a project called Permasense from the ETH in Zurich. There is a team led by Jan Beutel. They have been studying and observing the Swiss mountains for the last past 10 years with a technology research on a real and challenging application, so in the field of computer science. So they have seismographical representations of, um, among other things, the uh, vibration of the mountains. Due to the change of the climate and the permafrost the spaces between them, the mountains, have now become larger and so has the resonance. And now the mountains sound much deeper than before. It was really high and now they are vibrating deep. And this let me think about the whole environment of the mountains, the birds that now fly and sing differently. And also the animals that adapt to the environment. Yes, um, I think about that and also maybe to translate this um, seismographical representation into music, into a soundscape. So, yes, this is what I'm observing at the mountain. Yeah, and Aiko, you also talked about the mountain in Hokkaido, right? About 20 minutes drive from here, there's a mountain called Apoi. Apoi is an Ainu word. And uh, if I'm right, it comes from, so, uh, so just left uh, dip of the mountain behind that surface, the sun rises and hits the surface of the mountain. And apparently uh, it looks like a ball of fire. 
when the sun rises. So that's kind of relation to a naming of Apoi. And so if I look back the other direction from this picture, I could see um, other mountain where Mrs. Kumagai, who I work with, her father used to hunt. So, you know, I got, I went to this other mountain on foot, but I also wanted to see it from different direction from higher up. But this mountain was crazy because this path, maybe this is a norm for wild mountain walking, but the path was about 60 centimeter wide. And if I lose concentration, I could just fall off the cliff. So... You know, there was no way for me to think about anything, just really tune in with my physical sense, which was really important and understand the, as Lisa said, the soundscape and the smell and temperature and wind. Um, and I saw lots of uh, mountain flowers. And this place is unique. Um, as I said to Lisa before, the rocks of these mountains are very hard, but also very light. And it produces good material to make uh, cars. Um, and I think it was like 11 million, old, 11 million years old rocks. So to stand on such old material, itself was just yeah crazy to me <laughs> so i do these activities during my field work too maybe this leads us also to this idea of a shift of perspective because change the, our surroundings or environment and um, we become a kind of different agent for something or for a different lands for the landscape for the nature so for a very uh, short moment but as uh, Lisa also said, as soon as we are um, much longer in the city, it changes again and we, we seem to lose it. I would like to ask a question. I was wondering about uh, the process of creative writing or uh, also like approaching this from the perspective of your like personal interest and fascination, but also like the, the research fascination is sort of like a combination of the personal but then also like the sort of like scientific or like a factual like to what extent for instance when you write to what extent you feel that you need to like back up maybe your like personal observations with some sort of adequate research you know like how to process this for instance like you you know so much about the culture but then it comes your own personal experiences if you combine this or how you work with these two sort of layers, yeah. Thank you for your question. Um, yes, that process of creative writing is my huge passion and excitement. I already mentioned a little bit, but you know, this repetition in Ainu storytelling is something I really relate to. You know, in our head, we often have memories that repeat and you know, that's quite out of control sometimes. And I observe that and try to write it down. And often I find myself repeating what I wrote before. So I use that structure quite often. And at first I would just write without thinking. And then I go back to some notes I make during the field work. 
So I kind of patchwork those free thinking and not cyanide and try to shuffle around until I feel that the text I combined can we kind of represent the atmosphere I've been feeling or if it but my aim with creative writing is try to trigger some similar emotion in audiences. I really like reading uh, Gertrude Stein. I'm not sure if I'm uh, saying her name correctly, but uh, she also, I think, repeats a lot of words with quite limited selection of words. Very simple, but very unexpected and evocative, which I love. And I read a lot of Japanese poets' writings. They are very good at recreating the feelings and atmosphere, I think. But for me, Japanese and English play quite a different role. So I often write in English as if I'm writing in Japanese. So it becomes a big challenge to see if this kind of writing makes sense to English native speakers. But that's something I try and, you know, I show it to my friends and see how they respond and share it with other artists and see what happens. That's interesting. Uh, also, I mean, you have lived also a long time in England and because I were just talking about perspective, because then you have maybe both perspectives, like the Japanese and also the English perspective, a little bit from outside and from inside. So how is that when you're writing? <laughs> how do you deal yes. with that? <laughs> yeah, that's very difficult for me. Um, so either way I go, to whether England to Japan, I always say I'm going home. And so it's a difficult one. Right now I'm writing a lot in Japanese because my life is, you know, full of Japanese being in Hokkaido. And, but I show my work to my supervisors, which needs to be in English. So I translate a lot of my own writing, but it's always changes a lot when it's in, written in English. So with the salmon work, actually, the Japanese version and English versions are quite different. And only pe for people who understand both languages can get that I'm not doing the good translation, but done on purpose. Would you say that for your artistic work, you would rather write about your own um, personal feelings or perceptions of the world? And in your PhD, you try to kind of feed the text as well with uh, references from science? Or how does science and your personal writing come together? Yeah, that's something I'm trying to figure out at the moment. <laughs> but... Um... Uh, it's really hard to combine the two. So at the moment, I'm making different chapters. So one is quite academic, referencing uh, historical materials and other um, researchers' work. Um, but I keep that as small as possible because for me, the point of doing PhD art is to think about how art becomes new ways of you know working with knowledge and new ways of sharing yeah i try to really focus on creative way of producing the experience
Many thanks for listening to our work. We invite other artists and researchers addressing this integration between art and science towards new ways of working with knowledge to get in touch with links to their work. Please email us on info at oib.ox.ac.uk.